Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Wiley Society Podcast. I'm Anna Ehler. Today we're going to listen to a thought-provoking talk given at the 2018 Wiley Society Executive Seminar in London by Hetan Shah, the Executive Director of the Royal Statistical Society. In his time at the RSS, Hetan has worked hard to radically rethink the value that his society provides and in a time when many societies are seeing their membership and publishing revenues stay static or even declining, the RSS is finding ways to redefine the role that they play for their discipline community and in the world at large. Part of the reason they've been successful, as Hetan will tell you himself, is because he truly believes that societies must fight for and prove their own right to exist. It's a radical premise, And actually, his talk is so rich, we're bringing it to you in this episode, completely uncut. Here's what Hetan Shah had to say about how the RSS is navigating the changing landscape for societies. I've been at the RSS for six and a half years now uh, as uh, executive director. Just to give you a feel, we have uh, 6,000 paying members, 3,000 non-paying members. Uh, We're about two and a half million pound turnover, about 25 staff. So that gives you a sort of sense of the size of the organization. What have we done to kind of become relevant uh, and to stay relevant? I mean, we all know we're all facing similar sorts of major challenges. Uh, Members are saying, well, I don't really need to be a member anymore because I can get all your stuff for free. Uh, The scholarly publishing, in the long run, we may see open access and other things dry up our our, our sources of revenue. Uh, Some of us are facing long-term pension deficits, a bit like the universities are, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you respond? The first thing we focused on was strategy. So not all learned societies actually think of themselves as uh, strategic bodies, as it were. I I took an 18-month process taking my council through that, uh, because when I started, the executive director post had virtually very very little power. Uh, And in a sense, uh, for the last six and a half years, I've been trying to accrue power to the center. I've done that quite explicitly, and I can always get thrown out if I uh, misuse it. Uh, But those of you who are working in uh, these bodies will know that over the long run, there's been a transfer from uh, volunteers running those organizations to professional staff running those organizations. And I think we're still in that process of transition. So our strategy now uh, has a vision, which is how do we uh, help the world put data at the heart of understanding and decision making? And it's got four core limbs. One is around strengthening the discipline, which is the classic work of learned societies. Uh, But there's more. There's something about being a professional body. So how do we strengthen the profession through training and exams and those sorts of things? Uh, How do we uh, promote education and statistical literacy? Uh, And then finally, a kind of more public interest uh, uh, issue around how do we ensure that data statistics are used for the public good, which in a kind of post-truth age is uh, increasingly relevant. So those, those four limbs are really useful, uh, especially when there are volunteers who say, well, we've always done X, we should keep doing X. And we say, well, yes, maybe. Let's see how it meets our strategy. So we've moved from being activity-focused to being strategically focused. We also aligned our governance uh, with the strategy. So we have four vice presidents, and one of them is for each of the four goals. So, uh, uh, and that, I think, has been really helpful innovation. Membership engagement has become really core to us because we've recognized that that the relationship with members is is shifting. Uh, I don't think we can get away anymore with saying, you pay us money and we send you 
journals, a magazine, a, a few events, etc. And we're trying to turn the relationship around and say, uh, no, it's not, you're not joining for the benefits. Uh, you're joining a movement. You're joining a cause. We all care about data, evidence, and statistics in the world. So actually, you pay us a bit like you might pay uh, Amnesty International because you believe in something. Uh, and actually, we're going to ask you to do things. So uh, we ask our members to engage in campaigning for us when we want a government policy changed, uh, to, to write to their MPs, uh, and so on. So one thing we did during the general election campaign a, a few years ago, we asked uh, people to write to their parliamentary candidates and say, do you pledge to take statistical training if you get elected? Uh, and we had 300 candidates pledged to do so, with whom 55 were then went on to be elected. And so this was completely turning on its head the idea that members are there to, to have services delivered to them. Um, and we're finding that that kind of membership engagement is, is working really well. We've also invested uh, a bit more in membership recruitment. I mean, we're quite a small organization. Uh, and f in the last year was the first year that we've grown our paying membership for, for many, many years. So it does feel like we're, we're sort of now tapping into something that is working, which is really exciting. At the same time, uh, I think you've got to be quite commercial and hard-headed, so I think uh, our, our membership fees had been increasing at a fairly low rate for many years, and in fact, we just hadn't increased them at all. Uh, so in that strategic document that I got our council to buy into, uh, we'd put in somewhere, it was recommendation 122, I think, so they didn't quite spot it, perhaps, uh, that we should increase membership fees by 30%. This went through as a package of reforms. Uh, we then did it. We did lose some members. Some members moved categories, et cetera. But overall revenue from membership went up by 13%. Uh, and we accompanied that with a really clear campaign to members saying, our view is that in 10 years' time, we're going to be losing some of the key sources of income we have. We need to invest in new sources of income now. And to do that, we need to raise your membership fees. Uh, and that message, I think, did, did get across. So we mustn't be afraid, I think, of a frank conversation with members about what our business model is. And uh, we've invested in new areas, so we've really grown our training. Uh, when I saw that The Guardian was running data visualization courses, I thought there must be an enormous market there, and we presumably have a better brand than The Guardian for data visualization. So, you know, uh, and that is the case, that we have really started selling courses in basic statistics and data viz. And I'm not saying everyone can replicate that, but the point was we were willing to take a risk in an area where we saw some uh, possible gain. Uh, and we've grown that organically, and that has really increased in size, uh, and it's been a very successful, yet still relatively small, uh, strand of income for us. We've had even more madcap ideas. Uh, one of our uh, specialist sections uh, around quality and improvement has set up an ISO standard uh, for Six Sigma and Lean. Now, don't ask me what it means. I don't really understand. But it's one of these kind of things that may be uh, a massive revenue generator one day. It may go nowhere but we've decided to invest a little bit of cash uh, from our reserves to, to see if we can promote this, because if it takes off, uh, it, it may be a really good thing. So having a kind of portfolio of things, some of which are surer and some of which are a bit wildcard but might lead to future revenue, uh, I think is uh, really positive. But recognizing that in the long run, the, the sources of revenue we're cur currently sitting on may not be the ones that we will be relying on in the future, I think is really important. We've also tried to improve our kind of member engagement with new schemes. So we've set up a pro bono statistics scheme, getting our members to volunteer for charities. 
Uh, it's not working perfectly, but I think our members like the idea that we're, we're doing it. Uh, we've set up a, a relationship with the African Institute for Math Sciences, uh, which is uh, doing mathematical uh, teaching uh, in various centers across Africa. So again, our members are feeling connected to, to bigger social causes. And I think this, this kind of brings me finally to the kind of public interest work of the society. We're not just here to service our members. In fact, charitable uh, you know, uh, law means that we're here to, to create public benefits. So we've done an enormous amount of uh, policy work over the recent years. Uh, we, I hope, uh, maybe slightly overclaiming to say, but we saved the UK census. Uh, you know, we uh, really uh, participated in those questions. We've been arguing with the government about how to measure inflation and why they use one measure of inflation when they're paying you something, another measure of inflation when they're getting you to pay them. Shouldn't really be doing that. You know, uh, we're in the press quite a lot. Uh, and last, at the back end of last year, we had a fabulous thing where we, uh, we launched our first statistic of the year. Uh, and so, uh, and this got worldwide coverage because uh, we picked Kim Kardashian tweeting uh, a whole list of uh, statistics which showed that only two people a year died from uh, Islamic terrorists in America compared to 69 who were run over by lawnmowers. Uh, and the lawnmower thing, I think, really captured people's imaginations, as it were. So, and that was our first year, and we'll be kind of doing that as we go on. So, uh, I mean, that gives you a kind of brief flavor of the sorts of things that we're up to. But I suppose my, my takeaways from all of this are we have got to keep innovating. I, I have looked really outside of the scholarly society sector for my uh, inspiration. So, uh, on the one hand, I've looked to the NGO sector, which is where I'm from, uh, to become much more of a campaigning policy type body uh, and in thinking about helping our members engage within that. Uh, and then I've also looked to the commercial world for inspiration into uh, how we become more commercial, yet retaining all of our, uh, our, our roots. And so we don't have a, a right to exist, but may we long continue to exist if we can show value. The mindset and strategies that Haytan describes are a great case study for how scholarly societies can innovate and evolve to serve the changing needs of their communities. According to Haytan, the first step is simply to question the status quo. Why are we doing this? If the answer is because we always have, that's a red flag right there. Haytan says that he gets inspiration from lots of different places, including outside of the scholarly society world, and that has allowed the RSS to experiment and innovate around their core offerings, the journal and events. And while he knows not everything will pay off in the end, Haytan recognizes that for scholarly and scientific societies, not taking risks is the biggest risk of all. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. Until next month, I'm Anna Ayler. Our editorial advisory group includes Alexa Dugan, David Nicholson, Sarah Phibbs, Deb Wyatt, and Nielsen Turner. Our theme music for this episode was provided by Jason Shaw and edited by Dennis Velasco. You can listen to other episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing to the Wiley Society podcast in iTunes. You can also sign up for our mailing list to learn more about what's happening at Wiley and other news and trends in research publishing by going to exchanges.wiley.com societies.